real life superpowers. You gotta grow a serious stomach. I mean, we 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 almost shut the company, you know, two or three times. We got to a point in which we were a month and a half from no money. The main expert who decided to leave, investor, they were like, well, we we're not gonna inject more. Good luck. And few other bad news in one week. We had some some serious crises, and I think you know, again, as I said, resilience, consistency, and some discipline. Uh, but you got to have the stomach. And then, by the way, the, it's the one minus that. So you're going to have some really great month and weeks. You cannot get into euphoria and celebrate it too much. Celebrate a little bit, but know that that's probably going to pass as well. You're going to have some hard time, and you cannot mourn and agonize too much when it's a down downturn. Hey all, today we speak with Oded Barak. Having identified a need in the insurance landscape, he left a promising career as an executive in leading global corporations to co-found his startup, Five Sigma. To date, they've raised $26 million and dozens of insurance carriers and insurtechs use their solution. Here's his story. Real life. Superpowers. Superpowers. Odette, welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. What are you up to these days? Summertime. So I'm actually in transition. Uh, moved from uh, one of the worst thing ever, by the way, moving uh, houses. First time I do it with, uh, with no uh, second half to help me. So with three kids and a dog. It's a heck of a of a process in you know and and the transition in the company moving on and pushing forward and growing. So, I also had to move uh, recently, and it's so difficult. And the type of thing that you need a while to recover from from and to forget just how challenging it is. <laughs> and I can tell you the following: I I knew I had to move on the first of of uh, June, and then at some point I was so busy at work, and I said to myself, "Yeah, it's a long time from now, right?" And then it's the 27th of May and I woke up and I'm like, holy shit, I got to move in three days. <laughs> so. How did, how did you choose how to, where to move to? Oh, where to move? Uh, you know, sometimes the house finds you. Like in many cases, in other places in life, I actually looked for a place for about six months and I, I, I just didn't find it eventually while uh, vacationing in, uh, in uh, Hydra with my kids. Uh, a friend called me for something else, an artist, and uh, and then... She actually complained that she needs to uh, leave her place and, uh, you know, she's looking for someone to take it over. And like, I'm looking for a place for six months now. And so there you go. Uh, but it's uh, mainly I moved out of the city with a hectic lifestyle. I know I need to change some energy. And I find myself now in, uh, in a green reserve, beautiful place on a cliff, uh, very close to the beach, um, which I got to say, especially as, uh, you know, our hectic, crazy uh, you know, daily routine, this is a peace of mind, which came from, from God. <laughs> As an entrepreneur, are you scared of going like to have that peace of mind being on a cliff? You know, like everybody has to be where everything's happening. You know, it's like, a... yeah, it's going to have to jump over the cliffs in some days. No, uh, I gotta say, it's actually all about balance. And I think even, uh, in, 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 you know, again, just, just think about my, uh, journey up to today and being so total in everything I did. This actually, you know, perfect setup in the way that you you can never really kind of uh, uh, cut off your thoughts and your 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 you know your brainstorming internally. You always look for the blind spot. There's never peace of mind. So when you find that, you know, 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. when you enter the uh, the water and you look up and you just breathe for a second, that's exactly what I needed. But isn't it a give up to like not to meet people? Like as an entrepreneur, you're always like uh, pushing to, to meet people and go and meetings, whatever. And then you're like, like you know, that's that's the scary part. I'm not saying it's not right. I'm like, I understand it. No, first of all, I'm still half an hour from Tel Aviv. <laughs> it's not like I moved, uh, uh, you know, to a very far away uh, place. And second, you know, today connectivity, there's there's absolutely not. It's a non-issue. And and five sigma is that the first time that uh, you're doing your own thing, right? Yeah, 
you know, my background I actually grew up in, uh, in more kind of a corporate, typical corporate than corporate America, basically a, a, a workplace. Um, and after eight years into service, another five years uh, working for the government, I decided to grow up and do something. And, you know, after my MBA in the States, ended up being a banker at Goldman, did uh, the, the hardcore, you know, investment banking. Uh, then moved to uh, back to Tel Aviv and uh, headed Corp Dev M&A for a small company here called Amdocs. Again, a corporate position at a team in the U.S. and Israel. Then I was a CFO in London for an energy company. So I actually plugged myself out of tech, uh, either strategic finance, but always around tech. And then I did something which is much more kind of a CapEx heavy type of work. Uh, we had ports and, and trains and, uh, and, and you know, the real logistical part of, uh, of, of the commodity energy business. Uh, that's uh, the first time I actually got it really exposed to the world of insurance, by the way, as a CFO was actually overseeing that, that portion of the company and the pathology is associated with that. Um, at one point, I decided that it's, you know, I got to start doing something for myself. <laughs> you know, so what do you mean by doing something for yourself? Building, you know, your own kind of baby uh, being responsible for your own faith in a way that you build your home. And, uh, you know, from a culture perspective, from uh, the vision, from the people you work with. But then, like, I, I could also argue that when you set off to do something like that, you're walking away from something very stable. And, and that, in a sense, is taking a huge risk uh, with respect to your life. A hundred percent. The trade-off is clear. Uh, you out for a journey, which the level of uncertainty is the, you know, holy grail uh, versus, you, you know, pretty predictable uh, work. You know what you're doing, you know, project may be changing, but you know exactly what you're doing in your role. Uh, as an entrepreneur, you do many, many things, you know, in a chaotic environment. And it's, uh, uh, and as we all know, the uh, the uh, risk profile and the level of success, the ratio is is extremely small. Uh, so you take your faith in your own hand in a way, uh, but it's definitely, uh, I would call it a pretty penalizing path, uh, very gratifying in one, on one side and on one hand, but, uh, <laughs> it's, a it's a roller coaster. And if you up for, uh, you know, ups and downs, that's the path you should take. If not stay away and keep on corporate, uh, life. Were but, you aware uh, that's what you're entering? Yes, a hundred percent. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I bought some, uh, as, as head of uh, Corp Dev M&A, I bought some companies that used to be startups and, and I saw it, you know, when I was a banker in the tech side, but, you know, it's like everything else in life, the difference between, uh, I'd call it the, uh, the experiential knowledge, right. And the cognitive one is quite vast. Uh, and so experiencing it is, 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 I would say it's it, nothing really prepares you for that. I think that's fascinating because you sort of had a close look inside and despite not being able to fully experience it because it's not your experience, you were able to sort of understand that this is not going to be easy. And you were working at a stable and challenging and interesting position. I think probably positions like across your journey. And I'm wondering, did you feel like you couldn't really fulfill yourself without doing your own thing like what can you explain that what, what were you missing <laughs> that's a, a true psychological deep dive uh you know what drives us in life to choose different paths especially the ones that are uh, far from being your comfort zone um so that requires a whole different uh, probably set that i need probably to explore with my uh you know <laughs> in my sessions, but I, I do believe that um, there's always something that you feel is, uh, you know, the difference between something that is given to you versus something you really create. Um, and I think that the, and again, it's not as if, you know, you become a banker, it's it's something that is given to you as a gift, right? You, you earn your way to get there. Uh, and, and a lot of hard work, uh, more than brain, by the way. But um, but at the end of the day, it's still kind of a position that uh, it's pretty, I would say, cushy lifestyle in a way. Uh, it's given to you. Then you kind of uh, call it the going to the one to two to three, you know, call it uh, uh, vertically versus uh, horizontally versus the zero to one element, right? The creating thing and going, call it you hunt your own food, 
and you bring it home. And I think it tapped to a much deeper uh, inner self, uh, for lack of better terms. Uh, and maybe it's something I was missing, but uh, and that's something you know I was in inner call to do to do so and explore. Uh, but I think as well, I, I always thought that you know we always thought we all know about the Friedman be shareholder value, you want to be the shareholder. Uh, so I think there's an element for that from a financial standpoint, and maybe that's part of the people rationalizing the path. But I thought, you know, at least if I'm going to fail, let's fill in something I really kind of want to build and do versus, you know, keep on doing the more of the same. So it was actually, you were looking for like, sort of like, um, like happiness, not pleasure, meaning the the element of like yeah. a surprise in holding your destiny and see if like, you know, I'd be on the other side of the chain and, you know, is, is it like a bucket list thing or is it more like, like uh, I had this amazing idea and like, I, I want to challenge it or look at these idiots. I could have done it better or I learned so much and I want to, you know, do it myself. Uh, first of all, I think it's a very interesting way to put it. Uh, and you said various things in one sentence. I think, you know, first of all, I, again, I think it's the salt and pepper had that, uh, yeah, by the way, it was salt and pepper five years ago. Now it's actually completely white, but uh, <laughs> that flies. Um, I think it's uh, in, in a way, I'm humble enough to say it's not like I'm not, I'm not you're never going to hear me say something that some of my colleagues and peers would say, you know, those idiots. No. They're obviously yeah, so, not in, uh, idiots because they're successful. But when I say that, even in my, my entrepreneurial life, when you say, I need a nemesis, right? I, I get it. I get it. I think it's more of the, the, the former of what you said. I think, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm even if I'm looking at what we do today, I would categorize it more of an enabling versus the, the you know, disruptor versus enabler. I think we're more on the enabler side. I think we take and leverage upon what people did in our industry and just take it to a completely different level. Uh, and then transform it, but it's not like, well, we are, you know, we invented the wheel in a way. Uh, but for me, it's, it wasn't really, you know, I got something completely different in life and I'm going to do better than everybody else. And I have this amazing idea. We actually, I went on a journey to search uh, where we can find, let's categorize it as supply demand gap, right? An increasing one that we can actually bring some deep uh, capabilities to close that gap and answer market need. Uh, but we went through, uh, I would say, about eight months of a process to actually think about what's oh, the path wait, we want to go. Who is we? Two of my co-founders, uh, Dror, uh, Sholomon, and uh, Michael, Mishak, Rafili, uh, which are uh, amazing techies, brilliant individuals. Uh, Were they also corporate before? No, they actually came out of the uh, Prime Minister's office tech unit for about 10 years. They've been there, you know, as research and developers and then uh, team leaders and, you know, to some 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 serious uh, national security awards and all that kind of buzzwords. Uh, but, uh, but beyond that, just absolutely amazing individuals on a personality level. And, uh, you know, we knew that uh, bring that combination of brain and uh, and. Uh, well, I would say some experience, uh, and you know, we can we can actually create something really, really meaningful together. So, how did you even gang up together, um, for lack of, of a better phrase? You know, it's eventually it's a small market. People know each other. I used to work in the, in, in the prime minister's office. Uh, they used to be in the tech side. We have common friends. Uh, when I came back from actually London, uh, you know, someone who knew both of us kind of thought, you know, you guys should team up think about some some stuff and maybe good things are going to come out of it. Well, that is and so that's, interesting that's... because it's not like you had this idea and you figured out, okay, um, who am I going to do this yeah. with? Uh, and, and my passion is towards that mission. It was truly a calling of, I have to do something of my own. I know I have this skill set and I feel ready. And now I have to find the right partners and to find the right thing. It's so true. It's exactly the process we went through, which is uh, somewhat different than others, right? And then the path just to explore and decide what we want to do uh, was quite, I would say, eight months until we landed. And then you're going to go through ping pong of what exactly you want to do. But uh, and as you can imagine, it always is a journey. But yeah, we were like, we want to do something together. We want to build something on our own. Let's find that thing. Okay. Explain. Elaborate, please. So, uh, you know, it's, it's exactly a process we went through. We were actually sitting in, uh, in Misha's uh, living room for like, you know, 
month on month and, and strategizing and analyzing, looking market, wanted to look for a big problem, wanted to look for uh, a problem that, uh, you know, at the core of it stands or the bridge between the need and the, the supply demand will be data and tech, something that touches everyone uh, consumer wise, right? And that not everybody already went to do. Like you say, cyber in Israel, everybody went to do cyber. You know, the next thing will be maybe healthcare. And, and by the way, we thought about healthcare, we thought about maybe on the consumer side. Uh, took us a while to land into the insurance market uh, and understand, by the way, within that sandbox, because you say insure tech, right? Market is a big thing. But, you know, most companies went initially to the distribution side, right? Uh, the, the hippos of the world and the next and the, and the lemonades of the world to actually provide a different experiences and insure. We actually went to the place everybody shied away from because it's the core, it's hard, very complex, which is claims management. But it took us a while to actually land on that. And even then, what exactly is the path within it that we want to provide? What, what is the tool? Is that a point solution? Is it an end-to-end solution? How do you manage such ideation sessions? Because I think many people listening have that passion, but they don't know the what. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people do try to attempt such ideation sessions in order to find it, but sort of after a while ditch it because it just becomes overwhelming and there's no real rules of thumb here. And it seems like maybe you've tapped into some, it doesn't seem coincidental here. It seems like maybe you've tapped into some sort of structure that could maybe help others also identify a need and then identify right market and sort of figure out how they can find that thing. Hands down, the most complex stage <laughs> of it all. Uh, the most frustrating side, because you can imagine every time you kind of decide to open a door, what you find at the end of the door is a corridor with 10 other doors. And that never ends. Yeah. And that, that process can actually lead to a serious frustration and a very long, uh, you know, and, and it's true, you know, there's many people can give up. At some point, you need to make a decision. And I think, you know, the hardest thing, by the way, and I think as an entrepreneur, one of the biggest uh, things you learn, you cannot get to a PhD level of certainty before you take an act, because then you're always going to be too late or you're never going to actually act. Um, and so you got to get yourself, you know, what are the key questions you need to answer to get you to the next phase? And even if you don't have 100% of the answers, you know, 80%, 70% will make it and you'll live with the risk. But eventually you got you to move forward. And we actually stepped on something and we decided to go one path. And then we discovered as we start kind of working towards that, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain in a second exactly, uh, that that's actually not going to be the right path. And we moved to another one. And then we discovered that that's not actually going to be the right one. Still, then claims management, right? Once we made that decision uh, from, from overall market problem, uh, again, as I call it, the supply demand side, um, so, for example, we thought of actually going and, and creating a point solution uh, within what the quarterback of the claims journey is, the function called adjuster. The, the person or the entity, whether it's a human or not, uh, that managing the entire process uh, from, from start to end. Uh, then we discovered that the point solution is just not going to cut it because there's so many other deficiencies that even if you solve that one small piece, others just... It's just not going to work, you know, and what is that piece? And eventually we decided to go on a wide scale and we thought actually we're going to be a service provider and we're actually going to handle claims ourselves as an outsourcing entity, but we're going to do it in a very smart platform. And then we discovered that people actually minimizing the usage of that entities and want to own the experience of the consumer, but they really like that product, the prototype and so on. So things one led to the other to actually bring us to come with an end-to-end -end, uh, solution, a very data-driven one. Uh, which makes the entire story very, very different, experience very different, and, 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 and the call it the value proposition very different. But I'm jumping here, and so, but it was a very, very tough process, uh, you know, to, to land there. But how do you narrow it down in the first place to claims? Like I would, I'm trying to think: was there some sort of unfair advantage that helped you, and you thought, okay, we could through these set through the combination of our skills and our knowledge, that's where we make most sense. Like, what did you cling on to? So, so I think again, I think when we kind of uh, set up to say, well, remember the data and tech should be the core of our ability to actually move the needle, because uh, first of all. 
my uh, tech guys are one of those uh, super sharp guys, both academically in their experience of the usage of data and technology, both in their academic certification and, and awards, as well as their real life experience of what they did. I can actually look at large system. I came from companies uh, that build and develop core systems to some giants and understanding how to maneuver right within this corporate world to actually enter those players. Uh, because there's some kind of a kamikaze mindset when you're going to go to a very risk averse market with a core system to basically handle 70% of the capital payout and call it the front end when it comes to their customers, right? That's when you submit a claim. That's when you need them the most, right? Uh, and you think they're going to actually give you the lot of the, you know, the day <laughs> to, to actually manage this in a, in a startup platform. Uh, you got to be, you know, it's in between kind of, uh, a dreamer, delusional, some would say, but you got to actually have a very thick stomach and have the faith and the confidence you're actually going to manage to do so because you know how to work with those type of, of players. And so the combination of the team and, and you know, what I thought I'd bring to the table is that ability to penetrate this very uh, large market uh, and, and a, a well-needed one, one that didn't change for many, many years. Um, and as I said, when we thought about the insurance as a whole, we saw many companies going and, and providing this new experience of distribution platform, uh, but nobody touched that portion of actually the consumer experience when they submit a claim. And so it took us a while, but we said, this is something which we believe is large enough, is painful enough, and has a, a real place for innovation. So like that's an that's a real added value. Like if people don't understand how how hard that is, that the sales cycle to B two B, like. You know, if I'm hearing correctly, you said like I was introduced in the I think in the energy company that you worked for in the insurance idea, um, and you're pivoting. So it's like the journey of pivoting the product. There's like a few types of startup. I call one hardware, which is like you know making a product. There's uh, what's called a hyper startup, which you know connects and optimizes whatever. And then there's like the B2B heavy sales cycle. Now people don't understand that startups there could be amazing ideas. And there are, and just, they don't know the politics. They don't know how to get in the country culture to implement something inside a big company is near to, um, hard as you have to be some type of Tom Cruise to know how to implement it and also make them worth the while because, you know, Coca-Cola, there's no owner, it's a corporate. So what do you have to say to anybody that goes to give a SAS for a B2B and implements? Because like, honestly, there's also a culture variable here. How do you give that to your tech people to get in? So let, let's let's break it into pieces. The first thing that you said, I think it's is 100% right. The uh, It's not enough that you have a very strong platform or any solution, especially in such a risk-averse market where people kind of uh, afraid of change, right? And we're going to talk about what actually created that change in this industry in a second. What's the compelling event here? But I think it's the fact that even if you have a really slick platform that shows many, many different great stuff that they're looking for, you got to inspire confidence that you can actually deliver. You know, imagine it's an industry that implementation of a core system will take people, you know, just the implementation will take between a year to two years and even more with tens of hundreds of millions of dollars implemented. So, okay, now you come and you tell me that you can do it as a cloud native SaaS company, you can do it in a matter of months or weeks. First of all, let me doubt it. Second, what's the quality of what I'm getting, right? So, so your ability to, and especially when you're a startup, you know, you're going to be here next year. So there's multiple challenges that you need to overcome to score and to be able to, to, to land your, your first customers. And that's why, by the way, that goes to the go-to-market strategy. How do you actually build your way into the market, right? It's not, I'm going to come with a great product. I'm going to sell it to, to the 20, 30, $40 billion uh, uh, carriers, insure carriers. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, and so the way to build it, and that's what we did, uh, it was really kind of look at the ones that are willing to take the risk. How do you identify them? Yeah, so so how do I identify? So the industry is actually very structured, but what you call tier one to tier five. And then there's the wave of new insure tech companies that looking for SaaS solution like themselves. By the way, part of the hurdle that you have in this industry that about five years ago, six years ago, you would ask companies to say, I'm never going to go to the cloud. You still were in that that mindset, right? 
uh, that means actually you're, you're getting in in the right timing, right? Because you know they're going to move to the cloud. Everybody eventually moves to the cloud. Uh, some giants will maybe stay there for a few few more years, but eventually it's going to happen. Uh, so look for those who actually made a transition and looking for a few things. One, they're looking for, I was looking for a short sales cycle, time to KPI, because I want to demonstrate that my system, the platform actually can work not only in laboratory environment, but in real life and can create value, right? And then you can start building your way upwards towards the bigger ones. You're starting to get those KPIs. You start to get the attention of the industry. Then you can start up to the big guys. But if you think you're going to actually come day one to a five or even a $1 billion company, right? They call it tier three. And you're going to sell them an end-to-end core system. You, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And by the way, they're going to suck the entire energy of your company. You're not going to be able to demonstrate repetitivity right, uh, of, of the model. And so we look for those insure tech companies, um, and there's a bunch, and some small tier five companies, local carriers, and basically, you know, manage our way through, got a few customers, it took us a while, then COVID hits. Uh, and then everybody was like, wait, wait, wait a second. Uh, and we got kind of got stuck uh, with two customers. Uh, we were about, by the way, we, in in some you know, some call it a miracle. I think it was just a hard work and a lot of relationship work. Uh, we landed against the biggest guy in the industry. We landed a, a, an RFP, which we, we were the finalist, against the biggest companies, vendors in the market, the subsidiary of AIG. Uh, we won that, uh, and that for itself would be a completely the singular uh, moment that changes the company. What happened then in the first quarter of AIG, they lost 93% profitability and they decided to write off 250 million of that company that, uh, that chose us. <laughs> so we won the, 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 the battle, we, we lost the war. And then we were supposed to finalize a, a financing round and uh, we were basically were the, the, call it the term sheet was, uh, was just pulled back because we still only two customers. And then took us about a year plus to actually move from two customers to about 13 customers without actually even seeing the customers because of COVID, no flight. And then we knew something clicked. And now we actually, at that, that point of moving up the stack in terms of smaller companies to now bigger companies and larger ACV and so on and so forth. But that's a journey that takes time with about four and a half years to actually, a lot of resilience, a lot of, uh, I would say, discipline um, and consistency to actually be able to, to, to work through. So it's a combination of, as I said, the, the understand how your go-to-market strategy is and being able to demonstrate based on that your capability to deliver. We're excited to be collaborating with the Israeli website CTEC, owned by Kalkalist, Israel's leading business newspaper. CTEC is the gateway of the Israeli high-tech to the tech world and vice versa. If you're not already a regular reader, we strongly recommend that you check out kalkalistech.com, C-A-L-C-A-L-I-S-T-E-C-H.com to stay up to date on all high-impact stories from the Israeli tech scene. For me, there's emotion of traction, right? So when you have two clients and then you find the automation of it, you know, like getting it through online and you know you're getting feedback like on the internet, if you don't get feedback, that's the only really bad thing, close it. If you get bad feedback, that's fine. If you get great feedback, because it means they're part of the solution and you see that feedback. So on that sense, you said you're onto something, even if you have two clients, as long as they're not throwing you off the shelf. And by the way, the sales cycle for, for, for competition should be as hard as yours. So you're inside yeah. already. It'll be hard for the competition to, to kick you out. Okay. The thing is, I'm really intrigued. And that's like, that for me is a pivot moment. It's always like the foot in the door, okay? So I'm talking about like that one or two client. You're identifying the clients, right? But you're sending out pitches and say, it's not right for me yet. Or they say, okay, add this feature and this feature. And usually startups go and add features, you know, go crazy and whatever. Like, how was the first or second one? Because that's like the real, if, if you have that from, in my opinion, that's the moment where if, if that didn't happen, there's a lot of outs, out, outer variables. You know, and, and, and as people are different, uh, you know, you would, you, you would assume, by the way, and this is the interesting thing uh, that, you, you, you know, you believe you've got a common problem across the industry. By the way, uh, deficiencies, both doesn't matter if it's in Timbuktu, New York, uh, London, or Tel Aviv. Adjusters and claims 
organizations are capped by their own tools that they use. They cannot actually perform to what they need to perform. And that's just across, by the way. And you think there's a commonality, basically, then everybody wants exactly the same thing. And then you discover the reality is very, very different, right? And a SaaS company, by the way, you want to provide a product and then this is what you, that's the product. Now, if you want to configure it and so on, you know, oh, you're welcome. But it took us a while to get there to understand that, right? And it, again, by the way, to educate the market what a SaaS is, right? Versus what's the on-prem that they used to. And you're not a service company, you're actually a tech product company. So there was a journey there. But I think, you know, for me, that moment, that you, you, you know, feedback that we got was when chief claims officer, who is the buyer of the system, right? The users are the adjusters. Um, is this the first yeah. one? Okay. No, it was, I think, I think it was on the third one or in one of those pitches that we got and, and, and we got somebody look at the demo and he says, it was she, and she goes, you know, you actually have some things in your system that I wouldn't even imagine that I need that changes, you know, my ability to manage the team better or have a much better visibility, or you, you, you brought in some capabilities that I wouldn't even think about. And by the way, I think part of what we did very early on uh, from the product design and so on is to bring into the, into the company uh, folks with, uh, you know, 30 years of claims management experience. So talking about this, this humility, I would say that, you know, you think technology is going to solve it all. No, 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 you need Call it the combination of the domain expertise coupled with the deep tech capabilities, understanding, and, and expertise to actually create the symbiotic solution, right? And and so when a, a manager saw the solution and adjusted the user saw the adjust, they said, "Wow, this is like you know moving from a cord phone to a smartphone, so to speak." There's an adoption phase and so on, but this completely changed the way we actually manage claims. And and by the way, what in in a way you can think about most. And I, I would just a little bit of a context. Most most claims management systems to date were designed not with a consumer in mind or effectiveness in mind. It was designed with the compliance in mind, which really explains why loss adjusting expense, which is the measurement of how much the expense to just settle claims, just the process didn't change for more than a decade. Doesn't matter what systems you you use. And you ask yourself, how come you you move to digitization? You know. And so you see that now they add more and more administrative drag or tasks for adjusters to do what they need to do to compliance. And it happens that adjuster work for the system versus system working for them and taking for them, offloading a lot of stuff that they need to do and do it for them in the background. And so create many, 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 many things for them, but uh, and for management. But I think that was a moment when we said, we got something really special here. The second piece was that we managed to get customers up and, and running within eight weeks. So something that took folks, but by the way, now we have customers that actually went live in two weeks. But, you know, eventually when somebody takes a heavy system, it will take a few months, right? You can take a quarter or so. Uh, but this is not in the magnitude of, of a year or more to actually go live. So those two different things, feature, workflow, capabilities, smarts on one hand, and the ability to, work, uh, to, to do it, implement it really quickly with a very low risk. Uh, that that two things would kind of create us the you know we got a really strong story. How much of that attribute do you give to like your your partners that are government ex government employees? Because I'm thinking to myself, what would be the most um, annoying customer to implement? Okay, or, or it would be government uh, companies. And thinking of like the state of mind and the confidence, or how they know how to do the the political you know changing something in the government is also scary because it affects. You know, endless amount, like every, all the population, and also the, the politics and bureaucracy. And also, I always say in government, there's a change that commonly happens, especially in democratic countries, where they change every four years and whatnot. So, you know, how, do they like how, did, like, is that their added value if you say they're a plus of implementing inside, like from the government, or is it like a minus? In terms of the ease of implementation, how, what's the factor? Aside from being great developers and great people, okay, is is that a sign that you feel that it, I'll call it an HR? You brought in those HR that they really know how to implement inside, you know. So we brought in, by the way, I think part of uh, it's funny you say it because part of the process. Of, first of all, it's yes, we we you know when we grew up from two customers to uh, all of a sudden you know the the low uh, teens. Um, 
it was like, wow, we have customers. Now we need to deploy them. Uh, oops. <laughs> you know, we, we're not built for that yet, right? We didn't have enough people in the company. We're an eight-people company for more than four years. And, you know, so <laughs> it's like uh, now you cannot fuck it up, hurt my English. So it's, right? Because then your reputation as someone who doesn't know how to deliver can kill you. And by the way, this is part of what we actually needed to do in the last years to be able to, to build the delivery team and so on. But we had, we had, you know, the main experts that, that kind of help obviously manage the project and deliver. Uh, but that was one of the biggest hurdle. And as, as you said, in, in, in heavy, uh, large organizations, and by the way, even if the organizations that we went for are small, uh, the folks that, that uh, fill the, uh, the functionality of chief claim officer came from the big guys. Right from the mutuals of the world and so on. They had an old mindset and so on. Some kids in the office, yeah. So we 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 actually a lot of attention was and and is still being uh, being uh, put on not just a great product and keep on developing the features and the smarts, but also ease of use, ease of configuration, and 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 so on. That idea that you had in the ideation sessions and you set off with. How much of this did you have to change? How much did the business model change? Uh, during the years, I think at the, the initiation, I think we had two, two, two uh, call it pivots or you know two standard deviation away from where we were. Now, and and that was like, you know, are we going to do this? Or are we going to stick to what we thought? You know, there's a process, but there's but eventually you need to make a decision and go. And I think the market eventually calls you, and, and customers say, you know, we had customers that actually said, listen, guys, we don't, we're not going to use the TPA. We're not going to use the third-party administrators, although you guys look really, really great. And I know TPAs are, are, are bad, but I'm not going to change from a bad one to someone I don't know. But, you know, the system that you showed me, your platform seems really, really interesting. And so slowly we start moving that direction. But once we actually had uh, this, it was really about how do we go to the market? What's the key? How do we structure the go-to-market uh, strategy? Um, and then, you know, the evolution from that point on. So not a lot has changed since then, right? Um, but give you an example within it. Are you actually going to tackle, because you cannot do everything. Are you going to focus on auto insurance and home insurance? What's first? On everything? Uh, are you going to do cyber? Are you going to, you know, pets? <laughs> What's, you know, because you cannot do everything at once, right? Uh, as much as you know, our platform is built up now very flexible. So, so there's a lot of commonality, so we can move very fast. But that wasn't at the beginning, right? So, those kind of things, you know, you listen to the market, you see opportunities, and and don't forget the fact that we are a startup, and you need to raise a capital, and you need to show customers. And so, part of it was uh, let's listen to the market, see where the demand comes, um, and then react to be able to upload and show the companies actually like our product. They can be ref strong references, and you can actually start making money or you know, generate uh, ARR. And when you set up, did you have any people who were your sort of reference of what type of entrepreneur you wanted to be like, or did you have any mentors? I had a lot of maybe examples of what, what I don't want to be. <laughs> Give an example. You know, each one is his own story. And I said, as, as people of very different companies are very, very different, you know, you have some challenges. Everybody experiences the challenges and the roller coaster and the nose. And uh, we can talk about that. But, uh, but for me, it was like, listen a lot. Just open your ears. Be open to learn. Uh, and in a way, accept the fact that you don't know it all as a, as a rule. And so I didn't have an example, right? Uh, is it like a disappointment a little bit, like on what you want not to be because they're good, but I want to be better person or better, whatever, I don't know, more available or? Yeah. So, so I think, you know, in my experience with so many, many different uh, kind of type of managers, um, some, some better, some worse, some, some good in some things. And so, you know, there's a composition of what you want to take with you, what suits you, what you learn. I remember once just, uh, as, as a banker, we went to a pitch, uh, a leverage buyout pitch to this, uh, very large media company in New York. And I remember the senior banker came to me and he said, you know, that it takes many, many years to groom someone to advise to a board of director or to a CEO or CFO of a company to, to give them sound advice. And I, I looked at him and I said, so do you want to be that one who's being groomed to give advice? Or you, you want to be the one who's getting the advice? 
And, and, and when I asked, I remember that uh, in a cab ride and I thought to myself, I, first of all, he looked at me like, <laughs> um, but for me, it was a moment that I said, you know, I want, I, I want to make the decisions. I want to, I want to be able to, you know, get advice from very smart people, but actually lead the road. And that maybe goes back, I know, to your initial uh, question at the beginning. But I, I do believe that, again, for me, uh, you know, I had once a CEO that started his uh, company meeting of a public company. The sentence started with the following sentence. The reason I never make mistakes is, and you know, at that point, you just shut off and you don't care about the second part of the sentence. But, uh, but you know, and, and I would say for me, it was, it was about listening and about not panicking about making mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes, right? It's, it's part of the journey. It's part of the story. You're going to make those mistakes. You know, once in one of my interviews, uh, I was asked, yeah, okay, it was, okay, ask me a question. And I asked the guy, I said, assume I get the job and I enter my first day, what would be your advice to me? This is Jerner, and this uh, senior partner looked at me and said, it's a good question. He said, you know, by definition, uh, you're going to be juggling many, many balls in the air. And by definition, you're going to drop one or two. Just make sure the one you drop are not the one made out of glass. And I thought that was, you know, so now when you make mistakes and, you know, just pay attention to, right, the ones that you are, you know, we'll call it mission critical and ones that are less. And so not panic, but actually learn from those. So I think those those kind of things for me kind of guided me moving forward. Um, and I would say the other thing, and, and you, you, you asked a question about just, you know, everything is structured. Well, in startup, almost nothing is structured. And by the way, I saw it as, a, as an M&A guy, right, when uh, when folks... Uh, decided to buy a company, by the way, from the wrong strategic uh, reasons, or they screwed up the post-merger integration. Doesn't matter how the deal brilliant it was. Um, years later, everybody will talk about how strategic and smart and thoughtful it was, and they made it. And you know, many in the startup as well. Many times, you can strategize as long as you want, but this is chaotic. Then you backwards, right? In retrospect, you start telling the story why it was so structured and, and so on. So, in many cases, um, in many in many cases, it's just um, you just see you know what you want to have, and you leverage what comes comes your way to actually bring it into the funnel of your path and into your strategy. Uh, you got to leverage those, and I'm not calling it opportunistic but it's being able to really be minded uh, even to the blind spot and then utilize that and leverage that in, into your value proposition or your path. And how do you navigate stress and when those glass balls, even if you don't drop them, sometimes they sort of crack a bit. How do you handle that? You move to a place close to the ocean <laughs> and, uh, and breathe. Um, first of all, I think it's, uh, you, gotta, you gotta grow a serious stomach. I mean, we, we, we almost shut the company, you know, two or three times. We got to a point in which we were a month and a half from no money. Domain expert who decided to leave. Investor, they were like, well, we, we're not going to inject more. Good luck. And a few other bad news in one week. We had some, some serious crisis. And I think, you know, again, as I said, resilience, consistency, and some discipline. Uh, but you got to have the stomach. And then, by the way, the, it's the one minus that. So you're going to have some really great month and weeks. You cannot get into your euphoria and celebrate it too much. Celebrate a little bit. But know that that's probably going to pass as well. You're going to have some hard time. And you cannot mourn and agonize too much when it's a down, downturn, right? And, and these, are, like, these are your friends, right? Your, your co-founders are friends. Yeah. How do you do the contract in the beginning? Because all of you guys that before aren't like per se entrepreneurs. Right, so it's all new, the legal binding and stuff. Your friends, and you want to keep that somehow, you know, afloat. How'd you how'd you do that? It, it's it, by the way, it's um, I would say that even if you have this call it the unwritten contract, or you know, you know, each one knows what he's doing and so on. In reality, <laughs> there's pressure and tension and, and, and the dynamics, and you know, you're hiring people and everybody. It, it's just always, and the company is an ever evolving entity. You know, it's a completely different, diff, completely different story. And sometimes, you know, some people are fit or not, or uh, you got to grow with it. You got to have flexibility and you got to 
know that you know put aside the personality side the personal stuff and just be very minded to what's right for the company uh but it's like relationship uh it's like it's absolutely like relationship and you you know uh if you want to work you know it's always like it, it, it's the question is who is the right partner versus who's the partner i want to make it work with and when you want to make it work with then you're going to find a way whatever crisis comes your way to actually work it out there's a thing that there's i have a sentence saying i trust people but not circumstances you're talking about relationship it's the same thing with the relationship i agree the problem uh, with that, and that's like something that, you know, people oversee, but I like you said, statistics of startups are low. Like if you take away that variable, I think they'd be a lot higher. The circumstances, meaning something can happen to that person that, you know, that you have no control over. The, the question is this, as entrepreneurs, I'm sure that when you got into that world, it sort of shook up the status quo of, of understanding what is, you know, you're, you're, you're suddenly in something that you don't know the unpredicted and there's circumstances in life, you know, single kids, whatever. And then, and then that, so on the relationship you have to, there's a lot of investment in that. Like, do you guys invest in one another a lot? Is that we got to do more better. It's true. And you know, it's again, like in relationship, right? You, sometimes you run with the inertia and there's so much to do all the time that you say, okay, the time is the most valuable thing we have. Uh, and we know, listen, we went through in the company, we went through this, uh, I call it a full life cycle, right? Uh, divorce and death we had in the company, unfortunately, one of the key guys, uh, um, you know, some things that kind of shook us up to the core. Uh, and and it always the personal side and the tension of what's happening in the, in the professional side. Uh, we're doing great. We're not doing great. How, uh, it never ends. And so I think, you know, you got to be minded. You got to come down many times. You got to breathe. And I'm, I'm going to say it a gazillion times and not jump the gun really quickly as human being and some entrepreneurs. We always want to, everything is jumpy and, and think really deep about, uh, about everything you do and the impact on the company, first and foremost, and, uh, and what's right for the people. You know, and when I went through some personal sides and, and, and uh, dynamics in my life throughout the life cycle of the company, I actually stopped to ask myself, am I the right person? to manage the company at this point with the pressure that I'm going through in, in, in my life. Is this the best thing that serves the company? Can I do it? To be honest, intellectually honest with yourself. Is that what so, made you a great team, by the way? Maybe the, the, the loss did, the, the, you know, you almost lost the, the money and it's still there. The invulnerability that you're asking yourself, am I maybe out loud the right person for this? And people saying yes. Because like I, one of like we have a theory here like that we also you know in good times it's sort of like you know uh, not appreciative but what it brings together you know also even a family is the variables of I won't say bad shit but 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 you know heavy Life. heavy things that people you know if you find the right people and they're empathetic enough and they're open enough then they have that journey together and that's what makes the loyalty. You know, as opposed to, you know, just making shitloads of money, being really happy and that's not being vulnerability. You know what I mean? So, like, I see a lot of teams that's maybe what makes you a great team, the loyalty maybe. Yeah, it's always the, uh, you know, the say, right? If you want to run fast, run alone. If you want to run far, uh, run together. Um, but it's true. It's part of what you call this, call it the building, the infrastructure in the relationship of the team. And I think the core of it is really honesty and you got to be honest with yourself and i think you know the fact that i think the fact by the way that sometimes i allow myself again in the right context to uh sit down with my founders and partners and you know bring up some some tough issues uh that's the key to be able to, to be able to even solve the issues right it's it's always when there's a blind spot you don't know what you know what to deal with and i you know for me by the way as a ceo part of your role always put aside you know Look for the blind spot. Look for what you don't see. Look for what you don't know. Uh, because the things you know, you know, we can we can handle. And I think that the issue is that you don't know, and then it comes and, you know, as a surprise, or you cannot even, and it compounds. Uh, so I think the ability, and by the way, that triggers other people to be able to open up and share. And it becomes part of the culture. So I think, for me, it's an important part. And be honest with yourself. Be honest with your partners. And then you can actually build on that a very strong foundation. What's your superpower? Maybe people. 
maybe the uh, the ability to uh, work with people, understand people, read the situation. Uh, you know, and and I'll start with the fact that I don't believe in superpowers. <laughs> There's no superpowers. There's uh, is the point that you hack into yourself and say that's a point of strength. By the way, the ability to realize the points of weaknesses. Right. And to be honest about it, I think that's the key thing because then you can augment that with other people's strength. So I, the superpower doesn't have to be flight. The superpower is a ca characteristic, right? So just what you said right now is for me a superpower because if you bunch, you know, you're in data, you bunch people together. At the end, it's not like what they learned. You know, you're, you're knowing yourself, right. you're knowing what is special characteristic. So like that the just saying what you said is the exact superpower meaning you're very you're very approachable and you're 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 very realistic and down to earth means that it's really your your for me i already see it's you're in a, a person that i would like to work with because you're easy to work with right you're you're honest listen uh, you have the humility you're realistic and and i believe you as a ceo if you give the next goal i don't think you're giving a high goal or a low goal just by knowing you through the podcast so i think that's like that is a superpower so that and by the way you hacked it in a second because the every time a superpower is also a weakness right so that would be if i ask you like right now what's your kryptonite um i got too many to uh to state <laughs> i'm human so what is something that you're working on uh, as somebody who's very self-aware that you feel is is holding you back uh, as a theme? Um, well, empathy. <laughs> Sometimes to be uh, a bit more, uh, more harsh, I think, you know, Sometimes I do feel, sometimes I am soft, sometimes too. But uh, but by the way, there's a point that I'm then, when I'm not, <laughs> then it's very, very, you know, there's no middle. So I need to balance that a little bit, maybe. Uh -huh. And if you'd say, let's say, if I had to congratulate you, on uh, what would be uh, success for you in another year? Personally, obviously, it's the uh, being able to grow the company, and I'm not going to talk percentages, but obviously uh, grow and, and, and beat the expectation that I have with, uh, with my uh, investors while maintaining a very happy house and happy kids that's not going to tell me in the next vacation, Daddy, you're working too hard. <laughs> you, always, you always work. Where is the next vacation? Wow. Uh, the truth is I'm about, uh, I'm planned in uh, three days to uh, fly to Seychelles, but I'm probably going to cancel that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, that's, that's the answer. <laughs> I love it. I have to say that is a superpower. You're the exact opposite of the guy who says, I never make mistakes, and I really appreciate that. It's, it's really funny. I have good tickets, and I've got everything sorted out, and I'm like, I can't do it. I got, I got to cancel. The superpower will be not to cancel. Yeah, please don't cancel. I think I speak for both of us when I say we wish that you go, and we also wish <laughs> that what you define as success is going to roll out, play out exactly as you've detailed. Guys, I really, really appreciate the time. We do Thanks as well. so much. Thank and where you. can people find you if like, they're looking for you? Email, LinkedIn. My email is uh, oded, O-D-E-D, at fivesigmalabs.com. Thank you, Oded. Thank you. Real life superpowers. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. It's alive. Real life superpowers.